Welcome to our How to Wow Summer Run 2023 and a series of wondrous conversations recorded live at Carfest last year. Carfest is a not-for-profit well-being, music, food, superstar and motorcar festival that has so far raised circa £25 million for UK children's charities. Check out what's happening this year by going to carfest.org. Carfest.org, that is, where you'll see our best ever lineup of guest hosts and rock and rollers, yet many of them staying with us the whole weekend, including the likes of Richard Hammond, Rob Brydon, Jimmy Carr, Lee Mack, Bryony Gordon, Eddie Izzard, Rick Astley, Craig David, Russell and Laura Brand, Texas McFly, the actual village people, Alex Horn, Angela Hartnett, Matt Tebbett, Michael Keynes, Atul Kutcher, Freya Ridings, Ben Miller, Dr. Rungan Chatterjee, Dr. Reapy, the happy pair, Melanie Sykes, the Feelings, Sophie Ellis-Bexter, Razorlight, Gokwan, Reef, The Bootleg Beatles and only Peter Flipping Andre, plus all the amazing car content, of course. Go to carfest.org now and come join us this August bank holiday weekend. And welcome to another How To Wow Carfest pop-up podcast special. Today featuring the one, the only, Paula Radcliffe and Adam Kay talking about getting your family on track. In this conversation, Paula talks to Adam about her first successes when she first realised she was amazing in her field, child and family life, and how to incorporate exercise into a busy family life, discussing her mission to get families on track and active together. It's a cracker. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for coming out. And a huge welcome to, to Paula, proper national treasure. I've heard all about your um, thousand achievements. Um, so I thought we'd, we'd have a bit of a chat and then we'd open it up to you. Um, this is, every, every time I meet someone who's like hugely successful in the field, the, the thing that I wonder is, when did it first, when did you first realise, oh, I'm, I'm bloody good at this? What was the... <laughs> Because like, we all sort of end up running to a certain extent at school. Where, what, was the, what, was the, what was the light bulb? The first time I just ran around as a child and particularly competitively trying to kind of push myself even just in school races, I loved it and I loved the feeling. Um, and so I don't know when it clicked that I could make a career out of it. I think that was much, much further along. Um, it was just the fact that I loved it and I really enjoyed the, the way it made me feel and the people that I met through it um, and the camaraderie of big events a bit like this but the camaraderie of huge events uh, like the London Marathon um, and things like that, the Great North Run uh, was something that I experienced as a young child because my dad was taking part in them and just kind of really felt the buzz of that atmosphere uh, and loved it and then I think I liked the challenge of just seeing how quick I could go and it probably probably wasn't until I was 18 and I won the World Junior Cross Country in Boston um, in 1992 that I thought, okay, if I work really hard, and that was just when I was going to do my A-levels and go away to university, I thought, okay, I've got four years because I was studying languages. Um, if I work really hard through that time, I, that I've got a, a possibility of making it as a full-time athlete afterwards. And so that was the only time that it really registered as, okay, I, I can do really well at this. And you were right, it turns out. And so I, all, all I know about, um, about, you know, being a child and then uh, sort of training to be hugely successful in the field is from films. So like um, most recently, the Will Smith film about the, the Williams sisters. 
and that seemed fairly full on. Was 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 your life quite running based, or was it was it normal school plus extra? Yeah, it was it was normal school plus a lot of commitment uh, and organisation from myself, but largely from my parents um, and my coaches as well, in terms of, of making sure that I got everything out of all areas. Because I think my, my co parents especially and my coach were very, very keen on the fact that I finished my education, I do as well as possible at school. So I didn't really miss time at school other than for big competitions where I just fly out maybe on a Friday, um, and might be a bit tired into school on a Monday, but I didn't have to, to miss any time. I didn't have to train before school. Um, I was lucky in that respect. Running is something that gets more serious later on. Um, so when I was at school, I was only training once a day, and I would just fit that in the evening. I mean, you say only once a day. I think for most people, <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's quite a lot. And were you, were you a sporty child across loads of disciplines, or was it just single-minded running? <laughs> I wasn't any good at anything else. I enjoyed. So I could play with table tennis. Um, yeah, and I'm, yeah, I'm, in yeah with a, I'm in with a shout. Yeah, yeah. This is great news. My hand-eye coordination is not amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so when it's all getting serious, so you've you've decided, you know, I'm I'm going for it after the juniors. I'm going for it. What does a day look like? I can tell you what my days look like. It's I have a lot of M and M's <laughs> and white wine. Um, is it sort of more like 8,000 eggs and running for nine hours a day? What's the... I'm intrigued. Uh, it's... So when I went to university, then it was a lot more difficult because it was combining it with lectures and mm. the coursework and everything like that as well. So then it would be often getting up at 6.30, 6.45, trying to get a run session in before a nine o'clock lecture um, and then going out again at the end of the day. So that was a lot more of a stressful period for me, really, than when I was actually doing far greater training and greater mileage when I was able to be a full-time athlete, because that would be waking up, I don't know, not early, 8.30, 9 o'clock, having a big cup of coffee, either then going out for a short run or having some kind of energy breakfast and doing a harder session, and then coming back and eating immediately and then... Uh, two hours maybe of massage, physio. Um, two hours? Then two hour nap and then get up, <laughs> have another snack. I mean, if it wasn't for all the running in between, the, the, oh, yeah, the eating and the massage sounds, and the nap sounds great. Well, the massage is painful massage. Oh, okay. So that doesn't no, sound okay. great. We'll skip that But one, the 12 then, yeah. hours a day sleeping was pretty good. <laughs> so I'd usually be getting 10 hours a night and then two hours in the afternoon. I don't know how easy a question this is, but what makes... A champion so how come you can do it and I can't apart from 500 other reasons I think there are lots there are lots of reasons um, I think a lot of it is internal psychological drive a lot is talent um, but as my coach always used to say talent is not always just being able to produce it and run quickly. Being able to work hard and your body being able to tolerate the hard work is also a talent and being able to stay single-minded through that. So I think number one is enjoying what you want to do um, because otherwise you can't put in the commitment and the hard work that you need to, to, to get the most out of it. So, yeah, you've got to have the physical talent, but you've also got to want it and to like doing it. Yeah. What... When you're two hours deep into a marathon or something, did you ever just think, I should have just been good at the 100 metres? Because <laughs> that of all, the, of all the running disciplines, that one has to be the biggest faff. 
Never the 100, but I did think, oh, could I not have been a bit quicker over 1,500? Because 1,500 <laughs> is a nice, easy distance, like Steve Cram will tell you. You don't have to train very hard. Oh, really? You don't have to put in as much time and mileage as you do in the marathon. <laughs> no, that's I'm good. getting the digs early before we get to it. <laughs> so now you've got this amazing new focus on getting kids and families healthy and getting that ingrained from from day one what what was the catalyst for that uh i think lots of things it's something that i've always been extremely grateful for that i had a family that supported me getting into sport that allowed me to find that sport that kind of lit that passion for me and really supported it and helped me to be able to do that to maximum potential. And then I know what that brought me in terms of so many things in my life from, I think, doing better at school, more confidence, meeting great people, getting to travel all over the world. So many things that, that sport opened doors to me for. And I would love every child to have the opportunity to try out everything and to find that sport that does that for them or that passion that does that for them. It may not be a sport, it could be any type of activity, but I think it's really important for everybody's mental health to be able to get the access to that. And then I think for a family to be able to share that bond uh, of exercising and being involved in an activity together, it really brings you together and it's quality time. And it's something that I love doing with, with my dad and I love doing with my kids now. So that was really, really important. And that's why we kind of got behind the idea of Families on Track. Um, and then we were able to bring that to life. And it is the best day when I go there and just see kids running and enjoying running, see parents coming back to running that haven't run since maybe they were at school uh, and just leaving the day with a big smile on their face. So for the people who aren't aware of what the Families on Track uh, events look like, I'm going to explain it badly, then you'll correct me. So it's, <laughs> it's essentially a relay of different... You, you choose your length that everyone wants to run and you hand the baton over to another member of the family and then you, when you've all finished, you all dash towards the finish line together. Yeah, pretty much that. So it's, uh, it's basically a continuous run of 10K. So the family achieves 10K. And then we have three loops, and they're different coloured loops. They're marked out. Um, and I'm probably going to get this wrong. Raffle, correct me. We've got purple for a K. Um, pink is 500 metres, and yellow is... Um, 250 metres and so you finish your loop you can work through it in any order and small kids the parent can run around with them the only rule is you only collect one ball at the end of it so you collect your coloured ball drop it in your family basket you add up your total but we do have chip things if you lose count um, and when you've done your 10k you all run across the um, the finish line together and you get your family medals uh, and then we have swap prizes for best dressing up and then the most active and fun family and things like that it's great and it occurs to me talking about this that I don't think that growing up exercise was uh, a communal family mm. thing at all that's probably a fairly common common thing you hear yeah I think a lot of the time and it was one of the things so when we brought it to Runfest um, for the first time that was one of the things we heard a lot that people were coming away for the weekend but wanted something that the kids could really get involved in as well that isn't going to take too much out of a really keen parent who's trying to get out for the half marathon the next day you can still fit in a couple of laps around the 500 meter loop and you've got kids yourself are they very sporty um 
they haven't really had much choice other than to be involved <laughs> in sport because they've kind of grown up around that. I mean, the, the long jump sandpit in the middle of the track might have been their playing sandpit <laughs> when they were, were growing up. Uh, and they are both very involved in sport. They, they both can run uh, and do run a bit. Um, my daughter is really into hockey. So she plays um, hockey and she's more of a team person. And my son is really into um, freestyle scooter. So all the tricks and parental nightmares that go with that one. How do you think schools are, are doing with exercise at the moment and what do you think's missing? Obviously, it's a time where the budgets have never been tighter and it's all very difficult coming out of the pandemic. So, yeah, where, where, where are we at the moment? I think it's a really tough time. I and mean, I think the, the schools, we kind of can't put all of it on the schools, just like we can't put all of it on the parents. But it is, I think, one of the ticking time bombs, if you like, of the pandemic. The fact that whole generations of kids have missed out on age groups, they've missed out on access to sport. Uh, and as an adult, if you drop out of sport for a bit, you kind of used to that mentality of I'm going to be unfit for a bit, it's not going to feel great, I've got to stick with it and then I'll get back into it. I'm not sure kids have that mentality, so the worry is once they get out of shape and they're out of the habit of going to team sports uh, and physical activity, will they get back into it? So I think we really, all of us, schools, clubs, um, sports centres and parents have to make huge steps forward in trying to encourage them to get back into it and kind of helping them do that because it's hugely important for the mental health side of overcoming all the other effects of the pandemic and the social isolation and things like that. Yeah, I mean, that's... I guess that's something that doesn't necessarily get spoken about enough is the, um, the psychological benefit of exercise, whatever form that... whatever form that... that, that takes and... But, you know, I'm uh, my, my exercise. The main thing I do is going out and walking the dog. And if I'm, if, if you know, if my routine is disrupted or my way touring or something, and I don't have that, I do notice the the difference. That's obviously very low level exercise, but presume that's a that's a, an acknowledged phenomenon. Yeah, and it's it's the same thing. And I think everybody notices it when you get to your happy medium, your level that you know makes you feel good for the day. And it can be just doing five minutes of yoga in the morning. It can be going out for a walk. It can be doing a whole bunch of sit-ups. It can be whatever makes you feel a bit more energetic and a bit better about the day. And then if it's taken away, you miss it. And it's, it's just the same as, I guess, the endorphins that we all get hooked on. But we find our happy level. And when that's removed, then it's hard to, for the rest of your life to kind of feel in balance and feel good with that. Yeah. I want to talk about marathons. So I, I ran a marathon um, five, six years ago. Didn't win. It was quite disappointing. That's <laughs> a Kenyan bloke in the end who uh, about three hours faster than me. I didn't see, the, didn't see that one coming. Um, what's... And, uh, you know, this is a, an audience of half middle-aged people, half, half children. The middle-aged people, some of them will be, uh, you know, either training for or wondering about... Um, what a marathon might, might, might look like if they, if they went for it. And there's no better person to ask. So what, what are your top tips for, for a middle-aged festival-goer thinking, thinking about a marathon? So have we got any? Has anybody run a marathon? Yeah, I see loads of people. Um, anybody thinking about doing one but hasn't done one yet? Okay, come on. All those people that are thinking about it but haven't done one yet, that's none of you. But so the other ones that are definitely not thinking about it, talk to those that have done it because that is my biggest advice. I think once you've taken part in one, 
you might cross the finish line and immediately say, oh, I'm never doing that again. And then 10 metres further along, you say, actually, it was quite good. And I, I really enjoyed the fact that I achieved my goal. I'd worked towards it for so long that I met cool people along the road who helped me and supported me when I was going through rough spots uh, and that I was able to get through those rough spots and get it done uh, and I love the buzz of the atmosphere as well and I think that's what's really special about the marathon it is that unique thing and it's very unique in terms of mass participation sports where upwards of 35,000 people take part in the same event on the same day and largely go through the same emotions and ups and downs uh, and you really feel like you're a part of something uh, and it's not just against yourself it's against your mind it's against the other people in the race it's against your body uh, and it's a huge learning experience like I say nobody gets to the finish line not feeling stronger and having learned something that will help them to tackle all sorts of hurdles in life through just by the training and the race itself. Here's, here's an unexpected consequence of uh, the time I, I, I ran the London Marathon. So obviously nutrition is very important because I think quite a lot of people um, struggle because either they haven't had enough water or calories on board because you must burn up an enormous amount of that. And so... Um, I did this sort of calculation about how much I would need. And every and I had in my bum bag, I had loads of jelly babies. Because someone said, just find your favourite sweet and then divide it up and then have that through the race. And then so I imagine it's a slightly different protocol um, <laughs> if you're a world champion. So by mile seven or eight, I couldn't bear the taste of jelly babies. <laughs> and and to this day, even saying the word, I feel slightly retchy. Like, it's not it's it's so this is my piece of advice. If you read the same thing and you divide, decide to do it with sweets, don't use your favourite sweet because they'll be, they'll be ruined. <laughs> OK, just taking a pause to tell you about AG1, also supporting this particular podcast. AG1, I'm asked all the time about the one thing I do to take care of my health. If I could pick only just one product, it would be foundational nutrition. And AG1 is a top foundational nutrition product. I can't think of any other daily routine that pays off as well as AG1, according to people that I really look up to who really know their stuff. AG1 is recommended by such luminaries as Rich Roll, the amazing professor, Dr. Andrew Schieberman, Tim Ferriss, and our one, our only Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. AG1 was created in 2010 and has helped millions of mornings begin on a healthier foundation ever since. My wife takes it, I take it, even our 14-year-old son Noah takes it now. He swears by it. AG1 is not only a high-quality, all-in-one solution for daily foundational nutrition, it also saves you time, confusion and money compared to individual supplements that can add up to a small fortune. AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic and much more in one simple drinkable habit ag1 is great bang for my book as it replaces a lot of these other supplements like a daily multivitamin minerals pre and probiotics for my gut health adaptogens and a greens blend literally all in one scoop of powder i think there's 75 different supplements in each scoop science-driven formulation of vitamins probiotics and whole food source nutrients ag1 is raising the standard for quality in the supplement category just one daily serving gives me the comprehensive foundational nutrition i need Go to drinkag1.com slash how to wow. That's drinkag1.com slash how to wow. Give it a go. Check it out. Let us know how it lands. And now back to the wow. So how does, how does it work at, um, at the top level in terms uh, well, of we not get collapsing? Very, we get very, very spoiled. Um, so we are allowed to pick up individual drinks every 5k. 
and right. you make those up in advance and hand them in and you can tape a gel to the side of it but yeah the advice would be to try it when you're running to see what tastes good when you're running because what yeah. tastes good when you're 20 miles into a training run isn't the same as what tastes good when you're watching tv i mean by the um, end the only thing i could taste was blood to be honest <laughs> but uh, again it's probably it's pro probably different um so what the, i did was make the bottles stronger um, oh, yeah. so they would get so more and less, more sugary less tonic more gin yeah kind of, <laughs> okay, kind of like that yeah yeah a lot more fructose definitely in them by the end so much so that if i tried to drink the 40k drinks a bottle at any other time i wouldn't be able to swallow it because right. it was so sticky but all you needed then was just a quick shot of, of yes, energy a bit like the jelly the... babies so maybe if you'd save the jelly babies till the end right and, and gone with start, like something with weaker. like crisps right no. <laughs> fine okay well if paul Radcliffe says it, <laughs> it must be it's crisps so it's crisps to start with <laughs> and then move on to jelly babies got it so for the people here who aren't thinking, right, marathon. There are probably people who are wondering about how they can incorporate more exercise in their life. Is that, is that something anyone's thinking about? Absolutely no one. Oh, no, okay, fine. So what, what do you say to the people who have busy lives and pets and kids and school runs and jobs? And what, how, how do you convert? What, what, what's the change you make to incorporate exercise? Okay, so the first thing would be to really think about what exercise you actually would like to do the most. Um, because, as I said, finding something that you enjoy doing, you're far more likely to stick with it. Then pick yourself a target. Um, so look around. There are lots of websites, lots of things that put up different events. Um, and pick something that just jumps out at you and just excites you a little bit. And then commit to it, but commit to it with a bunch of friends. Uh, yeah. at, least, at least one other friend. Yeah. So then you've got a motivation and somebody mm. to commit to meeting a couple of times a week to start with the training, which is making you far more likely to actually show up. So that's the big thing. Set little intermediate targets along the way and reward yourself every time you hit each one of those. Yeah. So then plan a big reward when you do the big one at the end. Um, and then the other thing is don't feel guilty uh, because it will inevitably mean time away from kids, away from school, away from housework and things like that. Don't feel guilty about that because this is something for you that's going to make you feel better and will make you a better person at the other things as well. So it kind of will come full circle in terms of mental health. So being able to say, okay, I don't feel guilty about this half an hour for myself or an hour for myself in the day because when I come back, I'm going to be twice as committed as I would have been if I just stayed here through that time. And what's more likely to stick? If it's a, just part of your routine, if you're aiming for, you know, I'm doing a half marathon or 10K or something, so you've got something in the calendar. I think if you've got something on the calendar and it's stuck up there on the kitchen wall and you see it every day, then that really helps because it reiterates it and you've got something to commit to. And that's why I say commit with someone else as well. So you've not only got the thing stuck mm. up there, you know you've paid your entry money and you've got to get ready for it, but you've also got your friend ringing you up saying you've got to be there in half an hour. Yeah, um, no, so all of those things help you to do it. Uh, and then kind of once you're in the grain and you can move towards it, then that really helps. What does exercise look like for you now? I mean, if I'd, if I'd done so much running, I think by the time I retired, I'd be like, I'm never doing that again. I'm going <laughs> to play badminton. But is, it, is running still a big part of your life? It is, but it's very, very different. So it's not structured in any way. There's not a training plan. There's not anything that I need to do each day. If I don't want to go, I don't have to go. Um, but if I want to, then I do. And I very rarely know which route I'm going to go when I leave the house. Uh, I, I don't start my watch. I just look what time I need to be back. And then I like exploring different trails or just deciding, depending on how I feel, what I'm going to do that day. Uh, and it's more become now kind of my 
breathing time, my me time. I don't have to be there. For, I don't have to pick up the phone. I don't have to be there to do anything for anyone else other than the kids who can ring my watch if they need me. Um, but other than that, I, I don't have to respond to anything. And so I'm able to just switch off. And it's almost kind of like my meditation time um, and my just zoning out time. Um, and also my coping mechanism. So when I lost my dad during the pandemic and then when my daughter was ill, it was really important to me just to be able to get out, no matter how slowly I was running, just to kind of... I think better and I process things better, whether they're happy things or sad things. I process much better when I'm running. Okay. Are you happy to talk about your daughter's illness? Yeah, yeah. So why, you know, why don't you um, tell us what happened? It was over the pandemic, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was August of 2020, so we were kind of just starting to, to come out of the, the first lockdowns uh, and things like that. And she was having stomach pains, um, feeling sick, um, very tired all the time. Um, we went to the paediatrician. Um, the next day we were sent for a, uh, an ultrasound scan and then she was diagnosed with um, a malignant germ tumour in, in her ovary, um, which was a, a huge shock at the time. Very, very quickly dealt with. We were starting chemotherapy within a week. Um, I think the fact that it was in the middle of the pandemic was extremely helpful because I didn't have to... Kind of not waste time, but I didn't have to go through the motions of explaining to everybody why I couldn't work and why I was committed to her yeah. because I, it, work wasn't happening anyway. So that on that side of it was handy. The other downside was that only one parent could be with her at any one time. Um, and if my husband came in to visit, I had to leave. Um, yeah. And it was kind of just sticking to the process, um, which... I guess was something that sport taught me that we had a plan. The doctors were very good from the beginning. This is nothing to do with you live near a foam mast or anything that you ate when you were pregnant or anything like that. This is just something that happens. These are the odds that it happens, but it's very, it's very curable. And this is what we're going to do about it. Yeah. So we had the plan. It was three rounds of chemo. We went through all of those. I actually, by the end one, um, ended up doing a, a drop-in um, pundit to the London Marathon on Skype with Isla sat by the door, hooked up to the drip bag, just trying to keep the nurses out while we did that. Um, so when we look back on it now, there are actually lots of, of kind of funny moments um, about that. And we talked about, we laughed and joked about the fueling. Of course, she really struggled to be able to eat anything. Um, so I was really coming in with my fully packed bag with a lot of gels and energy drinks and whatever she could have at that time to help her um, get through that. But she had the surgery then, uh, end of November of 2020. And she's now, well, this November, she's going to be two years um, all clear, all clear from that. Oh, that's so, wonderful news. Yeah, wonderful thank you. News. And she um, did exceptionally well in her exams. So she had to go through uh, equivalent of GCSEs, but in the French system, so the brevet exam. And she did really, really well in that, despite having missed basically three months of school because in the pandemic she couldn't go back to school for the risk what a superstar and i i think it's worth saying you know got got a bunch of people here and it's a subject now a, a small amount about um ovarian cancer is often a cancer that presents quite late or doctors don't necessarily it sounds like you had a brilliant doctor who was like let's do a scan because unlike a lot of conditions that present with something like bleeding or a very overt symptom, it's often feelings like um, bloating, swelling, sort of diffuse pain, loss of appetite, feeling full, going to the loo a bit much, stuff that can sometimes get pinned on, you know, things like IBS and stuff like that. And so those are, in women um, of all ages, they should be considered red flag symptoms. Go to your doctor you know the, a doctor will never be 
cross or annoyed that, you know, a doctor will always be delighted to say, I don't think this is anything serious, but that's all stuff to get, get checked out. And, and, you know, and thank goodness that, that yeah, um, you, I mean, it was got seen early. a little bit better prognosis because it was the teenage uh, and brought, course, yes. um, brought on by puberty, but the early signs were really, really small looking back. Um, just really painful periods. Um, we got a trampoline during lockdown because it was great in the middle of homeschooling. Yes, you go out and bounce your heart out, come back in and be able to concentrate a bit more on there. Um, but um, just pelvic floor and bladder pain when she was on the um, trampoline and then not being able to swim underwater for as long time as she right. had done before yeah. because obviously the lungs were losing yeah. out on space and you're absolutely right, loss of appetite and just tiredness. I mean, she was really badly anemic by the time that we found about, out about it. So those small little creeping signs, which now looking back on, I think, and beat myself up a bit, why didn't I notice that earlier? Um, but it is only when you have the answer and you kind of put all the pieces together. No, and I'm so glad that this, this story has got such a happy ending. So was there, a, was there a link between this, you know, hugely difficult experience and your focus now on getting families you know, out and about together? No, um, because we had started that before. Uh, right. So we launched Families on Track in, in 2019. And actually, the first event that we had, my dad came and ran with us because my husband was away. So he ran with me and the kids. Um, and that is one of my treasured, most treasured memories now because he was the person who introduced me into running. Yeah. And so to be able to, to share it with him. And he trained and trained for, to be able to, to get around a couple of 250-meter loops. Um, and then we weren't to know that we were going to lose him within a year um so that it became even more of a treasured memory for that so it's come almost like he lives on with us now so when we take part in families on track we are pete's butterflies because we were butterflies then and then we just brought pete into it to to stay with us there yeah, that's that that that's really really beautiful and um how how brilliant that you're not resting on your laurels and looking at your medals and you're actually, you know, using your, your profile and your influence to make a real difference to, to families um, all over the place because the health of children, it goes without saying, has enormous widespread public health implications it's it's crucial stuff. Yeah, it does and I think too often sadly it, it's children are kind of left to the end almost um, and their basic health is looked after starting up here but not mm. it's not like that all over the world and after we talked about what happened to Isla a friend of mine contacted me um, who runs a charity called Shoe for Africa um, and he said you know that in Africa in sub-Saharan Africa there is not one single children's pediatric cancer hospital um, and he was, had raised the funds to build it but didn't have permission yet to do it. So we went out um, over Christmas and we did a relay from the equator to Eldoret where he was going to build the hospital, is building the hospital now, um, to raise awareness for that and to get the permission from the government to be able to start building that hospital. And the reason we ran from the equator was because the survival odds, instead of being 9 in 10 like they are here, it was 1 in 10. Oof. Well, congratulations. That's what an amazing achievement. Um, um, we've got about 10 minutes left together. So if anyone has a question for Paula, raise your hand now, right at the front. Where can you do the families on track runs? Um, so we have one next week in Worcester. Um, I think there are still places available for that one. So that's as part of the Worcester City uh, event. We always have them as part of Durham City Run Festival. Um, we have one coming up at Newcastle. 
We are looking at having some more. While you were saying that, if that's your parents sat behind you, they would be very <laughs> nervous at the concept of having to, <laughs> having to, to, to share Western 10K Italy. with you. <laughs> I was getting a copy of, a copy of your book, yeah. How to Run. Look, and I noticed that you're all wearing running shoes just in case, you know, the, the spirit takes you and you have to, you have to, have to, have to peg it over there. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions? Hi, um, where would you say your favourite marathon is and what is, um, would you consider to be the flattest marathon? Uh, okay, Berlin is probably the flattest marathon. It's also, sorry, uh, one of the most boring of the big city marathons because it is just flat. It is a good atmosphere, but it's a lot of long straight roads, um, but it is flat. Um, London would be my favourite um, because it's the event that first inspired me to want to do it. And then it's where I had my first success and it's where I had my farewell and set the world record. But New York is pretty high up there as well. Um, just because New York is such, the whole city comes to life with it. And it's almost like you're going through five different cities because each borough has a slightly different atmosphere, slightly different vibe to it. Um, and you could just people just walk around for a week with either their t-shirt that they're going to run it or their medal that they have run it uh, and they just keep feeding off that so uh, it's it's a great place and it's got very special memories for me uh, as well it kind of helped me bounce back after the Athens Olympic Games and then after I had my daughter that was my first race big big race back um, so it became kind of like a comeback feel good place to me any other questions yes right at the back you mentioned earlier about, obviously, schools and parents needing to come together, and I'm both. I'm quite excited by Run, Track, Run, and I've never heard of it until I sat here. Have you thought about producing a pack on how schools could then put that together? Because I'm sure there'd be a number of uh, teachers, head teachers, that would take that up, and I'd certainly be one of them. Yeah, we absolutely um, are looking at how to make, because the, the, the concept and the idea behind um, Families on Track should work in, in schools um, and would work really well. You just, instead of having the family unit, you just pick teams of four or five kids uh, and it would undoubtedly become a lot more competitive. Um, but that's a good thing, I think, because kids need something to be competitive and life is going to end up competitive anyway. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, it, it's something that we're looking at trying to, to bring into to schools in a concept that's easy to deliver, safe, um, and kind of yeah it doesn't make kids feel ex excluded it brings them into enjoying running and t for too long running's just kind of been that punishment go and run a few laps of the field or do the cross country and it's not been something that kids have actually enjoyed doing a gentleman in the blue hello i think that's a really great idea and um, i might enter our family without them knowing about it so <laughs> looking forward to that when we see sport in the media and when um, funding's dished out by the government um, by Sport England or whoever, it's often the number of medals that are going to result from it that is the focus. Have we got the focus right? I think the focus has to be a double focus um, because I do think it is, the, it is the medals and it is the success at the highest level that inspires kids into it. If you think about the number of kids that went along to watch events at the 2012 Olympic Games or in 2017 or recently in the Commonwealth Games uh, and will have been inspired by watching that and by just the atmosphere in the stadium, much like I was as a kid at the London Marathon. Um, that is important to, to draw people into it. And I think the bars in a 
home stadium when the home nation is is performing really well is unbeatable uh, we experienced it last week in munich when the germans had a great day on the final day the whole stadium was buzzing uh, and rocking so that's really important but you're absolutely right there does need to be another focus that is making sure that it isn't intimidating to people to get into it if you're not winning at it doesn't mean if you're enjoying it that you sh shouldn't still be able to do it um, and I guess that's where we were trying to pitch with families on track there isn't a prize for coming first the person who runs across the finish line first doesn't get any more than the person who who comes across last except person who comes across last actually might get more because I have to go around and run a load of things with them uh, and I'm kind of like rented out around different teams so we have a lot of fun with it um, rather than and we're not exclusive we don't exclude anybody anyone can come uh, just if you're really really small and you can't obviously go around on your own then you go around with a family member um, and it just counts for one one loop around I think that's something that's, that's really brilliant about this initiative because my memory of school sport was if you're not good at it it's very unfun because it was all about the number you placed at and you're criticized for not being good enough mm. so i think some kids like you know like to like to win and that's but it's making it an environment where you can just enjoy it primarily because if you don't enjoy it you're not going to stick with it presumably yeah no exactly i think it has to be something that feels accessible that you feel like you're not going to be judged and it's not going to be scary to to take that step and that you have fun doing it um and i think that's the the big thing when there's a lot of people just running around having fun i mean we've had we had families where some teenage members of the family have turned up in jeans not intending to run and then have actually just gone out and run um, we even got colin jackson going around a 500 meter loop over hay bales um, last year and he said he was never going to do it we had one girl who was not able to to come along to the event um, because she had tested positive for COVID. she actually set up her own thing in the back garden at home and they zoom linked her into her loop <laughs> um, so we, we can do things with it to make sure that you don't feel left out and i think that's the main thing that everybody feels they achieved it together as a family brilliant so i urge you all to look up families on track and um thank you so much to all of you for coming along thanks to everyone who asked questions but most of all thanks to multi winner of london and new york marathons olympian sports personality of the year mbe paula radcliffe thank, thank you so you. much thanks andy thank you thanks very much and apologies i was late Thank you to Paula Radcliffe in conversation with Adam Kay. How special was that? Episode four, this has been, of our How to Wow Carfest pop-up specials. Stand by for episode five, Sir Chris Hoy in conversation with Louise Minchin. And if you fancy some of this live in person in a field this summer, check out our website at carfest.org for tickets for Carfest 2023, our first ever one big Carfest, August 25th, August 26th, August 27th, Lavestoke Park, Hampshire.